Hey there, we're putting our regular Friendly Potential Radio broadcast on pause this week. In its place tonight, you will hear a dialogue between James Baldwin and Nikki Giovanni, originally broadcast in 1971. So much of what we champion at Friendly Potential stems from black, indigenous and queer culture. Basically every song that you hear on this radio station stems from those communities. However, regardless of their contribution to global culture, our people in these communities should not fear for their lives, as they have done for so long. We stand with those fighting for justice for the murder of George Floyd and countless others, and those campaigning against continued systemic racism and police brutality. We've donated to bail funds and set about educating ourselves with written and recorded resources. We hope you are as well. Follow the links on our and many other social media pages if you need. We also know that racism is endemic in New Zealand. Māori and Pacific people are arrested, incarcerated and shot by the New Zealand police at a far higher rate than Pakia. The three people killed by police during the Armed Responses Team trial were from Māori and Pacific communities. And in the health system, Māori get lower quality of care wait longer for treatment, and are not always offered the same treatment as Pākehā. One current way to address systemic racism at the moment is by supporting the Arms Down movement to end armed police patrols. You can access resources and send letters to the police and your MPs via armsdown.nz. Tonight, in place of our usual guest mixes, we air a dialogue between James Baldwin and Nikki Giovanni originally recorded in November of 1971. It's a wide-ranging and timeless conversation between two greats, a dialogue that it would be trite to try and sum up here. It's definitely worth your time and attention. Friendly Potential Radio. And tonight on Soul, a conversation between James Baldwin and Nikki Giovanni. And now, here to introduce the program is the producer of Soul, Ellis Hazley. Good evening. I'm Ellis Hazley, and I welcome you to another Soul episode. One of the miracles of this universe that we deal with is the way it can use something as cold and gray and as impersonal as an electron. These electrons that fill your television screen to bring you an experience as warm and as rich and as human as the program you're about to see. And we here at Seoul are extremely proud that we have been able to put together two programs, conversations between two brilliant and eloquent members of the black family, Nikki Giovanni and James Baldwin. We had to travel to London in order to tape these programs and we then edited them to fit within our time schedule of one hour. Tonight you will be seeing the first hour of this conversation, and next week we will air the second part. 
Mr. Baldwin, who is now living abroad, is the author of Going to Meet the Man, Tell Me How Long the Train's Been Gone, The Fire Next Time, Another Country, Nobody Knows My Name, Giovanni's Room, Notes of a Native Son, Go Tell It on the Mountain, and A Rap on Race with Margaret Mead. James Baldwin is also the author of the plays Blues for Mr. Charlie and The Amen Corner. Nikki, as most of our viewers know, is an old friend of souls and one of quite a few beautiful people who has always made her time, energy, and thinking available to us. She is the author of Black Feeling, Black Talk, Black Judgment, Recreation, Gemini, and Spin a Soft Black Song. She also edited an anthology of black female voices titled Night Comes Softly. So here now are Nikki Giovanni and James Baldwin in conversation. Jimmy, I'm, I'm really curious. Why did you move to uh, Europe? Well, when the, why or when? Why? I think I know when. <laughs> <laughs> I moved, I moved to Europe as far as one can say I did. I moved to Europe first in 1948 uh, because I was trying to become a writer and couldn't find in my surroundings, in my country, a certain um, stamina, a certain corroboration that I needed. For example, no one ever told me that Alexander Dumas was a mulatto, no one had told me that Pushkin was black. And as far as I knew, when I was very, very young, there had never been anything, as far as my father knew, which is much more important, there had never been anything called a black writer. <laughs> you know? So when I was, you know, when I was, when I was 24, I, I split. I went to, I came to Paris and worked and went home in 57 and worked and stayed and was based in New York, really, um, in and out, because I was, work is, on the one hand, making speeches, and on the other hand, trying to write, you know. And I never was able to write in New York, so I would go out and do my work and come back and do my work, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I understand. And that all ended in a way, or something else began, after Martin Luther King was murdered, and I spent a long time in limbo. And at the moment, I'm based in the south of France, but there isn't any way ever to leave America. You know, I would be a fool to think that there was some place I could go where I wouldn't carry myself with me or there was some way for me to live if I pretended I didn't have the responsibilities which in fact I do have. Mm -hmm. So I'm in a way just living, I'm a cat trying to make it in the, you know, in the world because I'm con condemned to live in the world. <laughs> condemned? <laughs> condemned? Condemned, condemned in the sense that, condemned in the sense that when you're young and also when you're old. You would rather, you know, have around you, you know, the expected things, you know, to to know where everything is, you know, and it's 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 a little difficult, but it's very valuable to be forced to move from one place to another and deal with another set of situations all of the time, and to accept that this is going to be, it is, your life, mm -hmm. and to use it, you know, it means you, in a sense, become neither white nor black, you know. And you learn a great deal about, um, um, you're forced to learn a great deal about the history out of which all these words and conceptions and flags and martyrdoms <laughs> right. come. Yeah. 
there's something that eventually I'm sure we're going to hit. So we're just going to have to work it out. All right. Okay, but let's start, let's say, with um, everybody's protest novel, which I think came out in 48. It came out in 49, 40, 49, something like that, yes. When I was six. (laughs) Jesus. I thought it was a magnificent (laughs) piece. I went to first grade, I said, my God, somebody's really talking. How do you stand in relationship, say, to that novel now? To that, uh, everybody's protest novel, that essay now. What do you think about, let's say, the younger writers, of which I am, am one? And, and within that context, are are we, in your opinion, like moving ahead? Are we moving out of that basic set of assumptions? Oh, I think I, I, I think it's very difficult for me to to say it because you know it can be misunderstood. But you have no you have no idea, and I can never express to you to what extent I depend on you, or. I mean you, Nikki Giovanni, and also mean your generation. My generation, yeah. You know. Um, I can even say you have no idea, and I can never express that either. Because I have, in a way I have no right to say it, but I'm very proud of you. Something has moved, things move in a very strange way, and maybe inexpressible. Mm-hmm. If I wrote that essay today, for example, I would be writing a very different essay out of a very different kind of um, problem. Mm-hmm. I think that without quite realizing it, and no matter, no matter what our hang-ups are as of this very moment, the hang-up of my generation or the hang-up of your generation, mm-hmm. you know, and the terrible situation in which all of us find ourselves, it is, it, one thing has changed, and that is the attitude that black people have toward themselves. Now, within that change, I don't want to be romantic about it, a great deal of confusion and coherence, you know, <laughs> will, will go on for a very long time, <laughs> you know. But that was inevitable. Mm-hmm. That moment had to come too, you know. And everybody's protest novel I was trying for myself, after all, first of all, to elucidate for myself a theology and the effects of a theology, which I, at that moment, realized I carried in myself. Mm-hmm. You know, it was not the world that was my oppressor only. Because what the world does to you, if the world does it to you long enough and effectively enough, you begin to do it to yourself. Mm-hmm. You become a collaborator an accomplice of your own murderers, because you believe the same things they do. You know, you think it's, they think it's important to be white, and you think it's important to be white. Mm-hmm. They think it's shameful to be black, and you think it's shameful to be black. And you have no corroboration around you of any other sense of life. You know, all those corroborations which, which are around you are, in terms of the white majority standards, so deplorable, they frighten you to death. You don't eat watermelon. No, you get so rigid you can't dance, you know. You can hardly move by the time you're 14, mm-hmm. you know. You're always scrubbed and shining. You know, a parody of God knows what, because you know, no white person has <laughs> been, you know, as clean as, you, <laughs> as clean as you have been forced to become. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, and you've got somehow to begin to break out of all of that and try to become yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. It's hard for anybody, but it's very hard if you're born black in a white society. Hard because you've got to divorce yourself from the standards of that society. Mm-hmm. The danger of your generation, if I may say so, no, but we will pursue this like if you like, is to substitute one romanticism for another. Mm-hmm. You know, because in fact, these categories are, to put, to put it too simply, but you know, with a certain brutal truth, these categories are commercial categories. It's true. You know, 
There was a reason that when you and I were slaves, my son produced out of your body was by definition a slave. Mm -hmm. But the master's son also produced out of your body, depending on his color. If he was light enough, he could be he could live in the big house. And if he wasn't, he took his condition from the condition of his mother. He was still a slave. He was a slave. He was a slave. He was a slave because even though he, he might, might be the master's son, the master could make money off of his son. Mm -hmm. The whole institution was threatened if a slave woman could produce a free man. Of course. And the dilemma begins there. Do you see what I mean? I don't see why it's the dilemma. If, if a the slave woman began can produce there. a free man, that <laughs> a slave woman was forbidden, <laughs> by, a slave woman was forbidden by law, I said the reasons yeah. are commercial, to produce a free man, because once you have a free man out of the body of a slave, you, you no longer have a slave. It's true. You know? And, but it's very hard to recognize that the, that the standards which have almost killed you are really mercantile standards. They're based on cotton, they're based on oil, they're based on peanuts, they're based on profits. Yeah, to this day. To this hour. Yeah. Which the church sanctifies. But the church is commercial. It's when you begin to realize all of that, no, which is not easy, that you begin to break out of the culture which has produced you and discover the culture which really produced you. <laughs> if you see what I mean? Yeah. What really brought you where you are. When you're in trouble, when I'm in trouble, I do not sing um, um, a Doris Day at Tin Pan Alley tune. You know, you, know, you find yourself you know, humming and moaning, you know, uh, <laughs> you know something which yeah. your great-grandfathers did. No. That has to do with oh, us. No, that has to do with us. Yeah. And what, we are, we're, what it's all about is the attempt now to, to excavate something which has been buried, mm -hmm. you know, which you contain and I contain, and which your kid contains, and which has got to carry which one has to hand down the line for the sake of your kid and for the sake of future generations and even for the sake of white people who have not the notice idea what this means. Because we have the edge over the people who think of themselves as white and that we have never been deluded into knowing, into believing what they believe. I know it sounds like a contradiction. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but in fact, you watch the man you work for. You have to watch him. You don't know you're watching him. <laughs> you're watching him. But you're watching him. But he's not watching you. He thinks he knows who you are or what you are. Mm -hmm. You don't know who he is because your life is in his hands. And you have to watch him because if you don't watch him, you might have lived from Monday till Tuesday. It's as simple as that. And without knowing you know him, you know him. He can't I, fool you. I'm not, I'm not at all. I mean... The civil rights movement, I came up in the 60s, which is like way after everybody else. But we always assumed that we knew white people. You know what I mean? That we really sort of like understood them. And I found out that if you don't understand yourself, mm -hmm. you don't understand anybody else. Mm -hmm. And all you know, you know what I mean with the snake is to watch a snake. Mm -hmm. And you mm -hmm. know it's a snake, but you don't know it. That's right. That's right. You know what I mean? That's right. Because there's too, too much between, there's too much emotion. There's too much you know fear. I, mean? I can watch like the cat I work for. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And he's going to watch me to some mm -hmm. extent. But we know each other. I would say, I would hypothesize that he knows me better because his game is running. Mine's not. And that's what I've sort of always disagreed with your generation on. I as long as his game is running, he obviously knows me because he's, he's I'm playing. You understand? I, he's I, saying jump and I'm saying how high. Yeah. He knows me. You may be right, but I would put it another way. I would, I would put it, I would, I would suggest that since his game is running, he hasn't got to know you. 
because his game is running. No, you're part of the game he's running. He hasn't got to know you. I would think that one of the reasons that, that uh, the Americans are in such trouble now is because the game is running. It was running until, up, until, up, up until only yesterday, really. <laughs> would you believe today? You know, and all of a sudden, through the American astonishment, the Americans have suddenly discovered that people in the world don't like them. Yeah. Now, I always knew that, because I didn't like them. You know, I love but some. They're not likable. Well, there's two people that are unlikable. And there's no. two people in the world that's not likable, a master and a slave. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. See? Exactly. No, the, we will never, 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 never get, you know, get precise categories for Which? that very loaded statement. <laughs> you know, but that, but that, that is where the truth is. Yeah. How you did know? you like them? So the question, I mean, for me, the question has always been power. Yes. And for, like you all, the question has been morals. You know, I never wanted to be the most moral person in the world. I agree, I know. I would like, I mean, I would sell my soul, you know what I mean? What does it profit a man to gain the world and and lose his soul? The Mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The Mm -hmm. world, that's what it profits. I know. So you take the soul, you know. It's the thing that's spiritual. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Y'all can have Jesus. Give me the world. You know, even though it's losing 25% of its energy every 100 years or something ridiculous. Oh, please, don't believe all. (laughs) Don't believe everything you hear. No, but I'm saying that's not my concern, you know? I know. Even though it's polluted. Ugly, dirty, give it to me. Speaking, or let me t- or I will take it. I'm not. But there. speaking, I speaking, it. I agree with you. I agree with you. But speaking for, speaking for myself, but also speaking as representative of of my of my generation. Mm-hmm. But it's probably safer to speak only for myself, really. You know, I know that in my own case, what I felt and still feel perhaps in a different way, but I felt very strongly in the years, for example, when I was, when we all were marching down those dusty highways with Martin. Look, I left the church when I was 17 years old, you know, and I've not really been to a church since, except, you know, when I had to go for various fundraising rallies or this or that. And I was not exactly the kind of Christian that Martin was, if I could be described as a Christian at all. It's hard to be the kind of Christian he was. <laughs> but I liked him. I loved him, in fact. And I knew that something was happening through him. And my concern was, yes, the world. But I'd seen what white people had done to the world. And I'd seen what white people had done to their children. You know, mm-hmm. because in gaining the world, they had lost something. A lot. No, they'd lost the ability to love their own children. Or the ability which to from, love themselves. Which is the same thing, you know. And I didn't want that to happen, if I may say so, to you. It was not a matter of morals so much. As a matter of being forced, in my own case, to suggest, to keep suggesting that though it was indeed no, a matter of power. Power without... The word morals is misleading. Power without... Power without some sense of oneself is simply another kind of sterility. And the black people would then become exactly what white people have become. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's a danger. You know, I also accept this, that that danger is not, is not up to me to tell anybody how to run. You know, mm-hmm. I can only speak as is what I am. I'm a kind of poet. And if I'm a kind of poet, then I'm responsible from my own point of view to the people who produce me and the people who will come after me. 
-hmm. you know, so that when the Holocaust comes, and it will come, you know, eventually, eventually, no matter how simple black and white terms may be today, life is not that simple. And sooner or later, if I do my work as I should do it, when I'm needed, I'll be there. You know what I mean? I don't know if the people listening, but I know what you mean. Because I think the most important, I think that I do, because I think the most important thing for any of us is when, when what comes, or when what we know will come, comes, mm -hmm. that we have the strength to say, yeah, it can't. That's right, it can't. <laughs> you know, it can't. and I'm going to stay in my apartment on we'll, 94th and you'll be in Nice, mm -hmm. but we'll say, yeah. And we'll also be able to ride out the storm, but what is more important is not so much riding out of the storm for you, Nikki, and me, Jimmy, mm -hmm. you know. But in my mind's eye, there's always that kid. He's going to be here when you're gone. Oh, yeah. You know, Hopefully. and when I'm long gone, and my point of view is, it is about the children. It is about the children. We have to give the children something, which in a way was after all given to us, though we had to learn how to translate it. Because your kid will be moving in a very different world than the one in which I grew up, which you won't know anything about at all, or the world in which you grew up, which will be remote for him, and yet he comes out of it, and has got to carry it much further than you or I will be able to carry it. He's got to have respect for it, but not be trapped by it. Precisely. You have to give both give it to him and liberate, it, liberate him from it. You know. And I think that kind of thing has been lacking. Like, I think one of the nicest things that we created almost as a generation, and it wasn't us because Martin Delaney and those people were way before us, but just the fact that we could say, hey, I don't like white people. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. It's a great liberation. You know, it was a beginning of, of course, yeah. being able to like them. Exactly. You know. Exactly. Which, of course, it upsets them, but that's their problem. Yeah, but their problem, you know? their problem really is a, a kind of... Um, we were talking earlier before the show began about the kind of incomprehension in somebody's face and you're trying to describe what is to you a very simple situation. Right. You know, like people don't like going to jail. And you, and you see the man's face and he looks astonished. What? People don't like going to jail. And then you, <laughs> and then you, you pull back. You mean so? You know, does that really go on? And you, you live with this all your life. And what you watch is that he knows it, really. He doesn't think that you know it. He doesn't think anybody will tell him. And if it comes in, as we were saying earlier, if, if he allows that to enter into his guts, he's a very different person. He may be, he, it may, he, it, he may explode. He doesn't know what will happen if he allows this apprehension of someone else's experience to enter into him. Right. Because he's perpetuating his experience. And this is, this is, this is, this is the crisis of the age. This is what Malcolm really meant when he said that white is a state of mind. Okay. You know. I won't argue that. Uh, on a certain level, because I tend to be um, parochial, <laughs> one thing, and I tend to care about Afro-Americans, which I would define as the sons and daughters of slaves and slave owners. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I have, uh, that doesn't, by the way, sound very parochial to me. It's very parochial, because I don't care about my third world brothers and sisters and things like that that I'm sure I should. But as we... You mean you're responsible for a certain situation? I, I just can't deal with it. Yes, I, I think that if everybody dealt with their own little situation, yes. if I deal with my block mm -hmm. and you deal with your block, Malcolm we'll have said, two, two good And people. Malcolm said that too. Yeah. So when we deal with white as being like a state of... Well, Malcolm said everything, which I would grant. I no, mean, really? he, he encompassed. But as we um, begin to try to deal, you know what I mean, with the world, we find that a lot of things break down. And we find that frequently a white face goes with a white mind. 
-hmm. Occasionally, a black face goes with a white mind. Mm -hmm. Very seldom a, a white face will have a black mind. But we find the frequent situation is a white face has a white mind. Yeah, but you I, know what I, I mean? I, no, so I, for the few mistakes no, that you would make, it's unfortunate. No, I know. I, <laughs> you know I, I wouldn't, to me, it's unfortunate. I, I wouldn't argue that at all. Yeah. No, I wouldn't argue that at all. No, I, it, it doesn't make any difference to me. As I said once somewhere, you know, that uh, a cop is a cop. Well, cops no. are white. And, you know, <laughs> he, yeah, and he, may be, he yeah. may be a very nice man, but I haven't got the time to figure that out. You know, all I know is he's got a uniform and a gun. You know, and I had to relate to him that way. You know, <laughs> really that's good. the only way to relate to him mm -hmm. at all. Because one of us is going to, you know, one of us may have to die. One of us, you know, in New York, there's a, a big campaign going on to humanize the um, policemen. And they have post uh, billboards upstate. And they have a picture of this big cop bending over this little blonde girl. Mm -hmm. and, and the signs say, and some people call him pig. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to buy a billboard. I told a friend of mine, I want to buy a billboard and show this big cop and this 14-year-old kid with 30 bullets in him and saying some people call him peacemaker. You, know? you have to do one thing. One, <laughs> yeah. one thing that Lorraine Hansberry said, get this photograph. <laughs> when we had that famous meeting with Bobby Kennedy, Lorraine said to Bobby, who was also dead. Everybody's dead. You know. Lorraine said to Bobby, in answer to something about black manhood, Jerome Smith had been talking about black men. And Lorraine said she wasn't worried about black men because they'd done very well, all things considered. She was very proud of them. But she told Bobby, she said, I'm very upset about the state of that civilization which produced that photograph of that white cop in Birmingham standing on that black woman's neck. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What does that say for white manhood? But again, that's a moral position. We, 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 you follow we, what I mean? Yeah, moral. I do. I do. I do. That I means do. that we're on top of the situation by being on bottom. And many of us I'm not quite would like to see it the other way I'm not, around. I'm not, quite that, I'm not quite that romantic, or even, even if you want to use the word moral, quite that moral. I simply know, I think I know. You know look, I'm not a financier. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a banker. I'm not a, um, I'm not a practical man, so to speak. You know? Mm -hmm. I'm what I am. And I know... I know the choices I've had to make in my own life to be able to shave in the morning, to look myself in the face in the morning. Now, I'm not so moral as to sit here and say that if somebody had a gun pointed at my brother's head, that I would uh, pray for him, <laughs> you know. I'm not about to tell you, you know, that, um, Excuse me. Uh, that I'm lighting candles every day and every night for the soul of J. Edgar Hoover. You know, yeah. on one level, I'm not moral at all. I don't care what happens to Hoover and all his tribe. At all. But I do care what happens to you. You know. Mm -hmm. And if I am moral, which I don't really think I am, but no, it's a word you keep bringing up. The I relationship. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But the relationship between morality and power is a very subtle one. You know, because power, ultimately, with no morality, is not any longer power. You cannot call a Spain a powerful nation. You can't call Franco a powerful man. He's got a whole nation in jail. But that's not power. No. You know what I mean? Exactly. No. His game isn't running. Precisely. 
precisely. Now, when our game starts running, and after all, after all, baby, we have survived the roughest game in the history of the world. Yeah. You know, we really have. No, no, no matter what we say against ourselves, you know, no matter what our limits and hang-ups are, you know, <laughs> we have come through some. We have come through something, you know. And if we can get this far, we can get further. You know, and we got this far by, by means which no one understands, including you and me. We're only, being done, we're only beginning to apprehend it, and you're a poet precisely because you are beginning to apprehend it and put it into a, into a form, you know, which will be useful for your kid and his kid, you know, and for the world. Because we're not obliged to accept the world's definitions. Just because white people say they're white, we're not obliged to believe it, you know. I can see. Just because the Pope says he's a Christian, we're not obliged to believe it. It would be crazy you know, if we did. We had to make our own definitions and begin to rule the world that way. Because kids, white and black, cannot use what they have been given. You know, and they're rejecting it. They're rejecting it. Nobody wants to become the president of Pan Am or the governor of California or Spiro to Agnew. The kids want to live. Yeah. You know. And we have, out of a terrifying suffering, a certain sense of life which everybody needs, you know, and that's morality for me. You know, you use the word morals, I would use the word energy. Okay. You see what I mean? I can follow that, yeah. You know, it, anyway, it's a very mysterious endeavor, isn't it, you know, because oh. the key is love. I was going to say, it's hard to figure out black people. And that's, <laughs> uh, no, really, I mean, you know, you know, because you, I know. It's very hard because you say, um, let's say somebody like you, you've been out of the church for a long time, okay? I grew up, of course, in a Baptist church, and I really dig the church. I do too. I think it's a very cool. I do too. I, I can't dig the theology, but the music and and the energies of the church. Yes. But then I went to um, the New York Community Choir had its um, anniversary recently, its first anniversary, and I went up to an AME Zion church, as a matter of fact, and the lady was singing. Some lady was singing, "Yes, Jesus loves me," and people started shouting. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. People were shouting. And it hit me as I was sitting there, my God, as a so-called black militant, I have nothing stronger to offer than Jesus. Yeah, you but you it? see, yeah, but yeah, but you, baby. And that was a mind, it blew, as a matter of fact, you have a church, you said, ain't that a bitch? <laughs> as I that was testifying, ain't that a bitch? It blew my mind. Baby, what we did with Jesus was not, was, no, was not supposed to happen. <laughs> no, at I can all. believe that, no. yeah. We took him, we took that cat over and made him ours. There's nothing whatever to do. With, the, with that white Jesus in Montgomery, Alabama, in that white church. We did something else with him. We made him ours. Something in us knew that he was always really a nigger. Because, you know, Swedes don't come from Israel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you had to be fairly dark. Well, white people really deal more with God, and black people more with Jesus. No, they, they don't even deal with God. You know, they don't deal with God. They deal with... God, for them, seems to be some... some metaphor for purity and for safety, you know? The whole heart of the Christian legend has always been, in some sense, impressing as being, you know, really obscene. And it's the key to all the dirty jokes which come afterwards. You know, can you imagine what would happen to you, Nikki? I'm married to you. I go out to work. I come home. And you say to me, baby, you know what happened today? I said, no, what happened? Well, you know, the Holy Ghost came by. Oh, he did, did he? <laughs> And um, Joe, <laughs> no, uh, the Holy Ghost whispered in my ear, I'm pregnant. Now, 
I might. I don't know, think you go for it. <laughs> I might, you know, I might look a little hard at you. <laughs> if I were really vulnerable, I might, I might, I might try to find that cat, the holy, the holy, the holy, the holy who, the holy who, the holy, the holy ghost. <laughs> this has been believed by millions of people. Yeah, they really who lived did. and died by it for two thousand years. Yeah. And when you attack it, you're accused of being blasphemous. I think the legend itself is a blasphemy. Yeah. What is wrong with a man and a woman sleeping together, making love to each other, and having a baby like everybody else? It's true. <laughs> it's not only. Why is the Son of God got to be born immaculately? Aren't we all the sons of God? That's a blasphemy. But we're not all the sons of God. Well, it depends on what you mean by God. Depends on who's doing it. <laughs> I've claimed him as my father. <laughs> and I'll, I'll give him a great, great vow of between now and the time until it's over. Because God is our responsibility. Well, I agree with that. No. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize. They think that we are God's responsibility. No, no, no. No, no, no. But it's one no, no, of no, him no, no. and what, 30 no. million of us. That's right. So. And God's only hope is us. It's true. No. If we don't make it, he ain't gonna make it either. <laughs> yeah, now people are funny about sex, which I never understood. Well, they're Except terrified of it. Same way people are. It's not about sex either. It's not about sex. You know, sex is. Sex is not really the problem. Love is the problem. No. When you're a kid, when you're a 16 year old boy, 15 year old boy, you know, what does he want really? He wants release. Fifteen-year-old no, no. girl. <laughs> oh, yes, no, and it doesn't. It's nothing yet at that moment yet to do really with love, because love is something which comes much later, really. You know, a kid loves you in a certain way because he needs you. Mm -hmm. But later on, when you're a man or a woman, it has to be much more reciprocal. You love somebody because you need each other. Right. But this is not one's not capable of this idea. You know, when you're twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, when everything is sexual and everything is being discovered. Do you know? That's why so many of our kids turn into junkies, which we won't go into at the moment. Hey, but let's no, come back. We, we'll come back to it. Do you know? But the great question is not that. The great question is, you see, if it seems to me that the black male the situation of the black male is in microcosm, the situation of the Christian world, the price of being a black man in America. God bless you. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all right. It's it's the weather. <laughs> The price you had to pay, the price you're expected to pay, and which you have to outwit, is your sex. No, a black man is forbidden by definition, since he's black, to assume the roles, the burdens, the duties, and the joys of being a man, in the same way that my child producing your body was not, did not belong to me, but to the master. He could be sold at any moment. Okay. You know what I mean? I and this erodes a man's sexuality. When you erode the man's sexuality, you destroy his possibility to love anybody. You know, though sex and love are not the same thing, if the man's sexuality is gone, then his possibility, his hope of loving is also gone. You know? He has no way to express it. He, he, ha he has limited ways he has, to express it. He, he has absolutely no floor in which to dance, no room in which to move, no way to get from one day to the next. Because they make love to you. It's not the same thing as taking you, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's a journey which most people have got to make. 
with each other. But why do black men, uh, why do we allow this to happen? Look, when one begins to talk about, when I begin to talk about, you know, the situation of black men, I mean, anyone, I'm nearly 50, so that I've got to avoid sounding, you know, in any way defensive because... No, no. No, I, I'm, I, I'm I, don't, I, don't, I don't mean that, I don't mean that I think you're attacking me, but you ask me a question which I'm trying to answer as honestly as I can, I have to look back over my own life. Mm-hmm. You know, and you save yourself if you have any sense at all, and if you're lucky enough. You know if you lose your center, and let's say the center is your sex, if you lose that, if you allow that to be destroyed, then everything else is gone. And you have to figure out a way of, of saving it from the landlord. Because after all, I had to watch my father and what my father had to endure to raise nine children on $27.50 a week when he was working. Now, when I was a kid, I didn't know what the man was going through at all. I didn't know why he was always in a rage. I didn't know why he was impossible to live with. But I had not had to go through yet his working day. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't quit his job because he had the kids to feed. You know, he couldn't say as, you know, as, as our kids can, I don't like white people. He couldn't say anything. He lived his whole life in silence except in the church. You know? Mm-hmm. And he couldn't explain. How can you explain to a five-year-old kid you know, my boss, you know, called me a nigger and I, and I quit. And the kids, and the kids' belly's empty and you see it. You know, and you got to raise the kid. You know, you got to raise the kid. And your manhood is being slowly destroyed hour by hour, day by day. Your woman's watching it. You're watching her watch it. You know, and the love that you have for each other is being to be destroyed hour by hour and day by day. It's not her fault, it's not your fault, but there it goes because the pressures under which you live are inhuman. My father finally went mad. And I understood when I became a man how that could happen. It wasn't that he didn't love us, he loved us. It wasn't that he didn't love his wife, his, our mother. He loved her, but he couldn't take it day after day and hour after hour being treated like a nigger on that job and in those streets and on those subways and then coming home to his children who didn't understand him at all who were moving further and further away from him because they were afraid of him and also, which is even worse afraid of the situation, the condition which he represented he was, after all, for a kid you begin to see when you're called a nigger you look at your father, because you think your father can rule the world. Every kid thinks that, you know, and your father cannot do anything about it. And then you begin to despise your father and you realize, oh, that's what a nigger is. And it's not your father's fault. And it's not your fault. It's a fault of the power, people who hold the power, because they have deliberately trained your father to be a slave. And they deliberately calculated that if he is a slave, you will be a slave. You will also accept it, and it will go on forever, and slavery will last a thousand years, which slaveholders said and believed. And now the bill is in, and they want from me 
are from you. Sympathy and understanding. I understand it all too well. And I have all the sympathy in the world for that spiritual disaster. But I have no pity. The bill is in. We paid it. Now it's your turn. It's, it's a... It's like a funny situation to be in. Because, like, we were poor, but maybe unfortunately for somebody like me, not poor enough to relate to it. And that, you know, we had enough to eat like that. <laughs> Things <laughs> like that. So that my relationship to that whole syndrome, which remains true, I'm 28 to this day, is that I really don't understand it. I don't understand how one hand, you say you're talking about like a black man, that he can be nothing in the streets and so fearful in his home that he can, he can be brutalized by some uh, white person somewhere and then come home and treat, you know, I mean, me, my it's mother, to, the same way that he was being treated, which perpetuates, I mean, you take yes, somebody like me, I'm not married, right? Yes, but Nikki. I, I couldn't play my mother. Yes, I know. You know what I mean? I, I just know. couldn't deal with it. I said, no, no, but, no, this won't but work. But Nikki, it is also true that since your mother played that role, you haven't got to. I couldn't. But you haven't got to, that's the point. Because she did. But her mother did. Yes, you know but, what I mean? Yes, but that's how we got here. I don't, what, I'm, what I really am trying to say is I don't want us to underestimate the price paid for us. I have a great deal of respect for those people, for, for my parents, for people that I don't know, for the whole, you know, everybody who shuffled. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that it's a phenomenon to me how you could be mistreated and then come home and mistreat someone the same way. In order well, first to, of all, Nikki, first of all, Nikki, you say mistreated, or I say mistreated, no. But in the, per in the mind of the person who is doing it, he's not mistreating you. Well, I'm not dealing with that. Well, I'm, not I'm not gonna even, I mean, let's not for a minute. Let's say in the mind of, let's say your father, who is just an example, mm -hmm. or the mind mm -hmm. of my father, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? He is being mistreated. I'm mm -hmm. not gonna deal with the cracker that's mistreating him. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna deal with him. Mm -hmm. He knows that he is not being treated with the respect due him mm -hmm. as a person, mm -hmm. as a black man, mm -hmm. okay? In order to like get that together, when mm -hmm. he comes into that house, mm -hmm. he begins to like brutalize my mother, mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. You see mm -hmm. what I mean? Which mm -hmm. becomes like a phenomenon to me, because I don't like white people and I'm afraid of black men, right? Mm -hmm. If you could follow what I'm saying I'm without anybody well. writing a letter and saying, sister, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, but you can... Okay, so where do, what do you do? Listen, you have to, I think it's what a, you it's have... It's a cycle. Of course it is, but you see, this is, what, this is one of the reasons I... This is one of the reasons I don't protest, but try to make clear that the words white and black don't mean anything. No, the man, a man comes home. No, he is in a situation which he cannot control. He is a human being. It's got to come out somewhere. A, a poor Puerto Rican several years ago, for example. No, it's just, it's just, it's, a, it's alleged. But I can see if this happened, why it happened. Cat came home and the three months old baby was screaming, and, you know, as babies do. And he killed it. He didn't mean to kill it. He picked it up and threw it against the wall. Yeah, I read about He didn't mean to kill it. It wasn't that. I understand, you know, because I've been there. I know something about that. I don't know if it happens to a woman, but it happens to a man. You, know, you cannot do anything. They got you. They got you. They got you by the throat and by the balls. And of course it comes out. It comes out. Where, where would it come out? 
It comes out in the person closest to you. I was going to say, that's so wrong, because what you perpetuate... Nikki, it may be wrong. I hate to use those kind of terms. But, but... Nikki, it may... You, Nikki, it may be wrong. Of course it's wrong. But we're dealing with human beings. You know, one cannot be romantic about human nature. One cannot be romantic about one's own nature. That's not fair. I don't think that I'm romantic, but... No, I don't mean that you are. I one... have seen how the community, and even today in 1971, even today there are divisions based on those same... Yes, kind of do. problems. That's right. So that the black men say, in order for me to be a man, you walk 10 paces behind me. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, it means nothing. I can walk 10 paces behind the dog. It means nothing to me. But if that's what he needs, I'll never get far enough behind him for him to be a man. You know what I mean? Look, I'll never walk that slowly. Look, Nikki, if at, at the risk of, at the very great risk of pulling, of seeming to pull rank. No. No. <laughs> pull rank. You know I'm, not, I'm not. Go really. on. I'm not. <laughs> no. But I'm, no, no, I don't mean that. But no. What I do mean is that, what I do mean is that a great many things which seem, if I may say so, new to you, are not new to me. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I can say then, okay, I see, the, I see what the cat's doing. And how long, I can tell you almost exactly how long he will do it. You know, I know that a great deal of what passes for black militancy right now is nothing but a fashion. You know, at best. You know, at best. Something will rest, something will remain. What is important about it is not the details, not the, not the given you know, people, you know, or the given so-called leaders or any of that jazz, you know. What is important is the impulse out of, it, out of which it has come, the ferment out of which it has come, which it reveals too. And what's valuable in it will, will remain and the rest will go. Yeah, but what's... Uh... Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, but... Again, what's uh, sort of sad to be is that the same syndrome that, say, our father set up, mm -hmm. coming from many, you know what I mean? My father is your age. Mm -hmm. And the same syndromes Jesus. that they set up, well, you know, he's a little yeah. bit older, 55. But a the same. A little bit older, 55. Thank you, baby. Well, seven years old. <laughs> <laughs> the same syndromes which, which is being set up, is being perpetuated, mm -hmm. is that once again, the black man is becoming the figure to slide away from. You know what I mean? That, that once again, the black man is the figure that you say, well, I can't, I can't handle that. And if you, uh, if you visit with the states or, you know, you talk to people enough, you'll see that that same syndrome, you know, the little guys that mm -hmm. are standing around crossing mm -hmm. their arms, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they're not lovable. They're not giving any love. They could give a damn about me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and that's, that's unfortunate because I need love. Yes, but sweetheart, sweetheart, it, what you're saying is very, very serious. I'm not, I'm not in the least denying it because you're perfectly right. But the only way we can get through it, I think, and it's, it's demanding a great deal of you, but one's got no choice but to demand a great deal of you, is that you understand. Look, let us say, let us say I'm King Oliver. All right. Right? And um, I'm a pretty good musician. Very good musician. Mm -hmm. And somebody called, let us say, Bing Crosby. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh. You know, you couldn't carry a tune from here to here, right? Yeah. Why Christmas? Right? It's true. Now I watch this little white boy become a millionaire. Become a millionaire. Many times over, I can't get a job, you know, and time goes on. 
you get older, you get more weary. And since you cannot get a job, your morale begins to be destroyed. And the body begins to fail you. Your death approaches. All because being a man, you've never been able to execute what a man ought to be able to do. And this is not anything that you have done or not done by some arbitrary sentence. How in the world, if I can't get a job, if I can't even get my, my, my axe out of the pawn shop, if I can't even be, you know, get the money you get on the subway, how am I going to love anybody except in such an awful pain and rage that nobody could bear it? I'm not trying to defend it, I'm trying to make you see it. Yeah. And you I, see what I, I mean? I do, but because maybe I'm hopeful, or because I've structured my life in a I way that I won't... I don't, by the way, think that what I'm describing is any longer true for your generation. I don't mean that. But I, I see the same, what I keep saying, is that I see the same syndromes in the same guys that I have to deal with now. Yes, but my dear, my, my dear, what you have to see is also... If I, you got to, Look... Think about the kid. Think about the kid. You know what you're going through is one thing, and I'm not trying to minimize it. I'm not trying to minimize. I'm not. Not, the I, thing I'm, not I'm not trying to. I don't, I don't even mean you personally. Yeah, I, mean, I know but, I, the generation. No, it's not. Yes, I don't mean. No, I don't mean. I don't. I don't mean you, Nikki. Exactly. No, I hope that nobody. No. I'm not talking about no, me that no, much. No, I know. I know. But what I do mean is that simply assume for the moment the kid is a useful metaphor because it. It carries you past one moment into the next, into another moment. Because no matter what happens to me or to you, one's responsibility is somewhere else. So, so it's a terrible Tuesday and a, re and a wretched Friday. But you know, you still, the kid don't know that. And then you begin to see. Then you begin to see that what looked so awful on Wednesday or on Friday, or is so awful, is awful, but it's not eternal. You can get through it. Hopefully and when you get through it, you can understand it. Okay. We're not like in disagreement. What I'm trying to um, maybe get you to relate to is that, and I lay it on black men because I'm a black woman. You have every I'm right sure to. That, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's that arbitrary. No, you have, a, you have but, every right to. But a guy, well, let's say a guy's going with girl. Mm -hmm. You're going with Maybelle. And Maybelle gets pregnant. All of a sudden, you can't speak to Maybelle because you don't have the money for a crib, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She doesn't need a crib. The baby's gonna sleep someplace. If you can follow me for two seconds, wait, wait. The baby's gonna sleep someplace. The baby's gonna eat something. But what she needs at that moment is a man. Mm -hmm. And in order, if, if, if the man functions as a man, mm -hmm. which is not necessarily a provider for all that stuff, because mm -hmm. everybody can understand why you can't buy something. You don't have a job. You didn't have a job when you always going to bed. Mm -hmm. Why are you gonna get a job because she got pregnant? You understand there's no job. But what she needs is a man to come by and say, hey, baby, you look good. And, 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 and black men refuse to function like that because they say, I want to bring the crib when I come. Baby, You're never going to get the crib. Baby, baby. Bring baby, yourself. Baby, I agree with you. I agree with you. I understand what you're saying. You know? But let me tell you this. You, know, you, you may be absolutely right, and you are right in your point of view. 
It's arbitrary. But you have to understand my point of view. I'm trying. No. And my point of view, well, if I, if, 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 if you were pregnant, I would act very differently. That's, a, you know, that's, that's, but that's me. That's something else. But from the man's point of view, given the fact, as we said much earlier, that the standards of the civilization into which you were born are first outside of you. And by the time you get to be a man, they're inside of you. And this is not susceptible to any kind of judgment. It's a fact. If you're treated a certain way, you become a certain kind of person. If certain things are described to you as being real, they're real for you, whether they're real or not. And in this civilization, a man who cannot support his wife and his child is not a man. And this is also in the, for example, in the welfare rules. You know, yeah. the, the black man has always been treated as a slave, and of course he reacts that way, one way or another. You know, and you can blame him on a human level if you like, but I think it's more interesting to try to, to you have to understand it, the bag the cat is in. But it's so... You know, because how can, how can I... You know, this is, I'm not being rational. You know, and I may love, I may love you, especially if I love you. How in the world am I can't come with nothing? But, but it's not, I know it doesn't make any sense, Nikki, but no, a man it, is built not, like not, that. You see, when we talk about, and we talk about the children, right? Mm -hmm. We talk about like, let's say my little boy, mm -hmm. your nephew, something mm -hmm. like that. We talk about you. How are we going to create the new child in the same old syndrome? Well, somebody, somebody well, has to fake it enough. You understand? Some, somebody has to say, hell no, I can't buy you a bicycle, you don't need one. Yeah, and smile about it some, so the kid can say, I'm not afraid of daddy. But sometimes that happens, and after all... But some, not enough to talk about, when we talk about the group. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, but wait. We're wait, talking about the group. Hold the phone, hold the phone, hold the phone, hold the phone, baby. You know, it has begun, something has begun. The fact that we're talking about it is a beginning. It's very important. You know, it's very important indeed. Look, I've had to learn in my own life, you know, I want this. I want it Friday. And Friday comes and I've worked, in, you know, I've worked my behind off to get, you know, get something done that I, don't come. It doesn't come for 20 years. Then you use that 20 years. Look, life is a very short and very long time. It is, really it is, you know. And it's very important not to get hung up on any given detail because what is there, like the fact that you're a woman and the fact that I'm a man, that's going to be there forever. And we're going to deal with that it's there forever. From the beginning, you know. Sure. And we have to deal with it from day to day, from day to day, you know. Because if if we love each other, we both know it. The tragedy is we both know it. And the and the greater tragedy is that it's destroyed by things which have nothing to do with you and nothing to do with me. A man is built as he's built, and there's nothing one can do about that. A man is not a woman. That's true. You know, and, and whether he's wrong or right, look, if we're living in the same house, you're my wife or my woman, I had to be responsible for that house. And I'm not allowed to be responsible for that house. I'm no longer in my own eyes. It doesn't make any difference what you may think of me. In my own eyes, that's right. I'm not a man. That's that's the you, you it, see it what does I mean? indeed make make a difference. What I think about it, because I could be perfectly willing, and as a matter of fact, I am perfectly willing 
to concede that, first of all, a man is a natural aggressor. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't care if I walked up to you and said, let's go to bed. Mm -hmm. You are the aggressor. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Mm -hmm. Because it all depends on you. Mm -hmm. I could fool myself. I could fool my friends. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I got it. Mm -hmm. It depended on you. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. see? So I'm never confused on that level. Yeah, but, but I've, seen, I've seen so many people get so hung up in, in such crappy, superficial kind of things that, that for lack of being able to bring a steak in the house, they won't come. I can get my own damn steak. Nikki, I need you, Nikki, and that's what the black. No, really, I mean, yeah, that's Nikki, to me what the black. Yeah, but man Nikki, you're perfect. Nikki, you're perfectly right, but I you're being. <laughs> but you're being perfectly rational. But it's a rational situation. Yeah, but love is not a rational situation. Love must be. It it must be rational. Because this irrationality that we have does Look, not work. Trying, it destroys people. I quite agree with you, but this is something we have to confront. When I was 22, I was like, I was about to get married, and for several reasons. I threw my wedding rings in the river, and that was when I split. You know, decided I would leave. I didn't get married partly because I, just, I partly because, it, partly because I had no future. It's very, very important. You had you know, no future. I had no right, future. Sure. I, no, you got to go back to where I was. Yeah, 22. You know, okay. I had no future. I, I couldn't keep a job. No, because I couldn't stand the people I was working for, and there wasn't. A, I couldn't. Nobody could call me a nigger. It's not a small, no, yeah, no. <laughs> so I split, you know. Now, I love that girl, and I wanted children, but I already had eight, and they were all starving. Yeah. And from my point of view, it would have been an act of the most criminal irresponsibility to bring another mouth into the world which I could not feed. Yeah, but you see, those weren't your children. Those were your father's children. My father was dead. That's not the and point. as far as they knew, then... That's not what you, you... One cannot... And I'm not knocking I'm not, your I'm, life. You know I'm what not, I mean? I'm not, I could, but one cannot be responsible for what one has I not produced. I said we are not being rational. But I said we must. I mean, that's no, no, no. my quarrel with no, no, no. We my, must become my, rational. My, those are my brothers and sisters. They were your brothers rational and sisters. Or not. They were but starving. they were your father's children but and they, your mother's children. That was my father's responsibility. As far as I was concerned, they belong to me. Do you know what your life, and I'm saying it like that. You know what I mean? I'm trying to, do you know what your life looks like, though? And this is what's happening also today. It looks like a black man can't make it with a black woman. If somebody looks at the two of us, man, we're the weirdest looking people on earth because you went your way and I went my way. Which is saying the same thing, and that's sort of a shame. To say Nikki, that a, I Nikki, can't have a black man standing Nikki, with me, and you can't have a black woman because we wouldn't be who we are if we had. But and Nikki, that's a fact. But Nikki, we are... Nevertheless, we are here. We met. Oh, you and I met. Yes. But I'm talking about for the statement, man. You're looking like a Huey Newton. Yeah. He can't make it with a black. Who could? Who could be his woman? We don't know. Oh, it's, it's such a shame. We don't know that much about the man. We we know what the image. Yeah, but we know what the what, you, what, we've, what we've seen. Let us forget the image. We don't know anything at all about the man. We know a little bit. Let us assume we don't. Okay, let us assume we don't. No. If, insofar as it's true, if it's true, that Huey, for example, cannot make it with a black woman. I don't know that that's true. I don't know that it's true. I'm saying no. that to date. But that is part of the trap to make one believe that. I don't believe that myself. You know, it's part of a societal illusion which you're expected to believe so that you can react to it and be distracted from the main point, which is one's relationship to each other. 
We've come to the end of the first part of this two-part dialogue between Nikki and Jimmy, which, as I told you earlier, we taped in London recently and edited for showing at this time. We hope you all will be able to be with us next week when Nikki Giovanni and James Baldwin continue their conversation. Until next week, then, this is Ellis Hayslip saying good night from Seoul. Friendly potential. And this is your announcer, Joe Dennis. And tonight on Soul, part two of a conversation between James Baldwin and Nikki Giovanni. And here again is the producer of Soul, Ellis Hazen. Thank you, Joe. And good evening. I'm Ellis Hazen, the producer of Soul. And I welcome you to the second half of this conversation between Nikki Giovanni and James Baldwin. As I mentioned last week, we taped this interview in London recently and edited it for showing at this time. You will see and hear two very gifted and much-loved black writers thinking, questioning, and exchanging ideas with all the eloquence and wit and passion that have brought them to national and indeed international uh, prominence. So now let us resume this dialogue, this conversation between Nikki Giovanni and James Baldwin. How do we as a people begin to, to deal? What we have with to it? do, and it's a very difficult uphill uphill road, up, uphill, uphill job, Nikki. What you have what you have to do is begin to change the basis on which people think. For example, you have to begin to shift the basis of the language. Because the way people speak is also the way they think. Yeah. And I and I point I haven't got to point out to you because you know that the English spoken by black Americans is not the English spoken by white Americans. Yeah, that's true. No. And once that so that's given. And we have to use it and do something with it which has not been done before. You know? Mm-hmm. We are in great trouble, but we have the great advantage of knowing we're in great trouble. You know, we're in trouble man to woman, man to man. We're in trouble, you know, father to son, mother to daughter. But we know we are. If I can liberate my great nephew, if black people can liberate themselves, and since we're talking about a commercial endeavor too, by the way, you know, because yeah. the great crisis, we have, we have no land and no money. Well, that's, you know, but that's all right. That resides that's, in power. Yeah, we, we'll get. Because you find out you cannot purchase anything you can't take. We'll get the power. You know what I mean? We'll get the power. You must. No, we'll get and the power. And the power is not the land or the money. I the know that. The power is the ability to effect. But now you are agreeing with me. Of course. You're wise, no. man. What? You're a wise man, why wouldn't I? Wow, 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 wow. And one of the strengths of the Afro-American, certainly in the last 20, 30 years, is that we have recognized we are not Americans. On one hand. On the other we, hand, we are the only true inheritors of right. the place called America. That's right. That's right. It belongs because to us. Because we are still outside of we it. Are, it belongs to us, and there's nobody can do anything about that. And we will get it. Oh, if we, we continue to move... <laughs> I we, think it's a guilt. In, ways, in ways that one can't quite see yet. We already have it. That's one, that's one of the reasons for the panic. We have to effect it. Yes. And we have to know it, and we have to make sure that everybody else... We have to change it. Sure. It's like the South lost the Civil War, but they didn't know it. 
which is why they continued <laughs> because yes. someone finally said, you know, you lost. And, oh, did we? You know what I mean? They continued to act as if they had won. Well, they still haven't lost it because that war was a kind of... Yeah. The results of that war are being paid for until today. And will be paid for. When we marched in Montgomery, Governor Wallace had the um, Confederate flag flying from the state from the, from the Capitol building, oh, yes. which is legally insurrection. But nobody said a word about it. Because, in fact, the South and North simply concluded a contract between them to keep you and me in slavery. Yeah. That's all that really happened. So the textile mills in Manchester, in Massachusetts got rich, and, and the cotton fields got rich. Where did the, where did the textiles come from, except Mississippi? But see, so many institutions, to me, are not but, but so many institutions, like, it just doesn't make that much difference that, that Shirley Chisholm is in Congress or Richard Brooke is in the... Well, it's what I mean when I say, you know, the white and black are really very arbitrary categories which cannot be trusted. Well, certain yeah. things have certain color designations. Well, the fact that Ed Brooke <laughs> is a senator from Massachusetts or that we have some black mayors, since it doesn't change the machine, doesn't change the parties which they allegedly represent, doesn't mean anything. I'm saying you can't tell a white, ma a black man by the color of his skin. <laughs> or no. maybe you can't tell, uh, maybe my, my quarrel is very subtle, but maybe I'm saying you can't tell a white man by the color of his. Either. Yeah. Either. In that case, so, yeah. there's a great deal of hope. If, if you could get a black mayor to come in and change, which I think Carl Stokes did, change uh, the police department, change the way that the city goes mm -hmm. about his services, then you could have something. But uh, if he's not going to change it, first of all, the militia, which becomes <coughs> the police department, if he's not willing to, to make those kind of changes, or if he's not willing to, let's say, take on the McCarran Act, then he's mm -hmm. just not doing black people mm -hmm. any... Uh, or the country. Any, well, no. it's one and the same. No, it's one of the, in my mind, it's one and the same. Mm -hmm. It's one and the same. Because, well, that's true. I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being a missionary trying to save um, America. <laughs> but I do know that, I do know that we have paid too much for it to be able to abandon it. We can never abandon it. I don't think that that's a question, because where else are we going to go? I mean, nobody else wants us. Well, in any case, in, in any case, in any case my father and my father's father's paid too much for it. I've paid too much for it. I'm yes. only 28. Yes. <laughs> I deserve it, you know, to do whatever I want to do with it. Thomas deserves it, mm -hmm. you know, whatever that means. I just think that, like, how we go about it and what we're... Um, well, I personally, I'm just not interested in many things that people are interested in. I'm not interested in a president or a Congress. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't care Puerto Rican, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't care. I'm not, I just don't give a damn. Because it's still somebody trying to run my life. I'm, I'm not interested in movements and ideologies. Because I think that I would have a difficult time. No matter you who was running. You have a terrible running. time. Yeah, I mean, personally, I it, I would too. It, it wouldn't change one bit for me, except Maybe I would even have to go in exile and I can live there now. Yeah, yeah but, you, but, you, but, you, but you see, that's a tightrope that's a tight that we're on. It's, again, to come back to the whole question of, you know, of, of, of labels, white and black, I, I'd be, I'm terrified of cultural commissars, you know, <laughs> on either side of the line. Yeah. You know. The older you get, the more frightening. It becomes... Terrifying, <laughs> because, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure to be told how to write, yeah. you know, or what to write about. But that's, that's, a, that's a stupid, uh, my theory is that the world divides into sort of like intelligent and um, weak and strong, <laughs> which is awful. I mean, it's really awful for me to say things like that. 
but there are so many stupid people. It divides not so much between the stupid and the bright, because most bright, pe most bright people that I've encountered, not most perhaps, but many, are wicked. I really think it, you know, really wicked. Yeah. Well, maybe but I think it <laughs> divides between the people who have a certain kind of daring and the people who don't. And the daring is involved with the price you're prepared to pay for your life. For your life. Because okay. then, you may have been born stupid, but if you're willing to live, take your chances on living, you become very bright. But then in my world, you that becomes I mean. a bright person. Yes, of course. Because it's not based on um, IQ. No. That's just, you know, that's like a very weak position people get into when they start. Well, in the States, we have a thing. I don't know how familiar you are, you are with it. But we're going through a whole thing. There is no such thing as individual. Which, of course, is that's killing the true. movement. Well, it's not only not true. It's stupid. It's killing the movement. And when you see the dum-dums perpetuating that, you don't want to be like them. So the mm -hmm. very bright people are saying, okay, you all can have... Mm -hmm. And I hate to watch it happen because it's destroying what was almost at one point a nation, you know? It's not... Be cool, be cool. This won't... I'm not mm -hmm. trying... I don't, I don't mean be tranquil. Yeah. No, but... Let it go. Don't worry. What you have to do is concentrate on what is essential. And I not think that's and essential. Not, and not be sidetracked by very disturbing details. After all, you know and I know the individual does exist. Not only does, but should. In any case, whether or not he should, he does. I'm concerned about it, I guess, for particularly because there's so many young kids who want to believe. And for me, when I look at, like, the energy, you know, I teach school. And when I look at my various classes, the few times that I'm there, and I see those hopeful little faces, and I know that they are just as eager to become, you know, fascists, as anything else, that they don't really, what they want is to believe. Then yeah, I begin to feel an obligation to say, okay, try believing in yourself. Yes, but my dear, that's, that's all we've been talking about. Yes. You know, it's, you know, you call it power and I call it, I call it. You call it power, I call it morals, or you, or you, or you say I do. No, okay, but it's, but it, No, but it's the same thing. Yeah. It's exactly the same thing. What one is trying to do is it teach those children something which they will need much, much later because they can become fascists very easily. Especially if they really believe, you know, that all the legends which are now being fed, you know, that black is beautiful, black is beautiful. But since it's beautiful, you haven't got to say so. You know, or it's very it's important. The ego is the most important thing about exemplifying that beauty. Because it's a very dangerous slogan. I mean, I happen to, you know, I'm very glad that it came along because it had to come along. But, you know, I don't love all black people, really, you know. Okay. You know, I know some deacons and um, and preachers and congressmen and and judges and teachers and lawyers. You know, black, but not like me. You know, mm -hmm. no, it's you're trying to tell the child something which is which transcends all those categories, so he won't become what you see all around you every day. <laughs> One tries. You know. But that has to be dealt with because they're constantly being fed that their ego mm -hmm. is to be supplemented to what is constantly called the energy, which makes no sense to me. Because why should somebody who doesn't even know you run your life? You know, I mean, why should I run some kid's life? And I feel, you know, eminently equipped. You know what I mean? Yeah, if I, I could be, I, I, I feel like, wow, I would be the best person. But why should I do that? Why can't you do it? You can make your own mistakes. Yeah, but you have, to, you have to give the kid the morale which will allow him to do it. One tries. You know. Because I really see so many games being run 
by uncreative, stupid, stupid people. Look, Nikki, know, and it's very disgusting. Most I'm, people, I'm sure that you all saw. No, it. yes. But, Jesus but Nikki, Christ. Nikki, most people really accept without very much question the assumptions that they're given. Yeah, but they must. I mean, it's illogical. Most when I was growing up, you know, the great trick was getting the civil service and work for the post office. You know, now I can't blame those people. I don't blame them. You know, it made them it made them very unattractive people from my point of view. You know, but what else was a black cat to do? Create. No, you can't create anything unless you have been given. However, you get it, I don't know. Been given the belief or the or the rage or the madness or whatever the necessity out of yourself to do it. Look, read a book by Richard Wright. The late Richard Wright wrote a book called Lord Today. Which I meant to get for you today. <laughs> about the post office. Well, it's, it's not about the post office. It well, takes place in the post office. Right. Okay. No. Great. It's a tremendous, tremendous book. It takes it's one, one day in the life of one black man. And no black cat can read that and not know, you know, because it's, uh, it's true. It's true. It's a fantastic record. You know. You see, the, the, the nature of the drama, in a sense, is that you and I both had to raise a child, but if I've been destroyed before I get home, you go one way, I go another, and the kid gets lost. And it isn't the fault of the woman or the man, and certainly not the fault of the kid. It's not a question of blame, though. It's a question of responsibility. Yeah, but and it is our yeah, responsibility to make I'm, sure that kid does not I'm, go. But what I'm trying to get at, Nikki, is that in order to take the responsibility, you had to be able to take the responsibility. It's not a mystical act. Somebody's got to pay the rent. I can't put you on the streets. That's what you say. We have tried to make you able to pay your rent, or my rent, or our rent. We have found that there are not enough jobs, there is not enough money for you to do that. Now, why can't we try it my way? I think that the only thing that's changed in the last, um, since Martin Luther King, since 54, uh, I think the only thing that's really changed is the black woman. And, and what she has no, said is... No, I don't think she's changed. I think she's become more visible. I think she's changed. Because there was a time, let's say my mother, you know what I mean, my aunts and things like that, they would say, okay, if that's the way you establish your manhood, mm -hmm. I'm going to go for it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. my generation says, hey, mm -hmm. no good. Okay. You must okay. establish I'll a agree. new base. I'll agree with and, that. And we are, as a group, demanding that a new base be established. Yeah, but be careful as a woman and what you demand of a man. I demand that he be a man. Yeah, but you can't because say, the but provision you can't, part. Yeah, but you can't say you demand it. You have to, you have to suggest it. Well, that, that's your <laughs> ego that says that. No, I, I demand it. Now, you deal with that. All right. Okay, I'll even, I'll even, I'll even, I'll even I go with that. I demand that you be a man, and I don't think that that's asking too much. Because if I wanted a provision, you know, I would get a camper. You know what mm -hmm, I mean? Mm -hmm, I would mm -hmm. get a camper that provides things. You know what I mean? You, you get an army surplus kit mm -hmm. that provides mm -hmm. things. I need a man. Mm -hmm. and, and, and black men have, have always been offered to provisions. People are either going to eat or starve to death. You know, the men of yeah, the man, men, but, yeah, yeah. the people were starving and they were still the men. Had to be that way through that horrendous kind of war, but it had to be that way because sometimes you are not able to feed your family. Sometimes you are not able to clothe your family. Do you then also deprive them of your manhood and of the input that a man has? Who teaches my son how to pee? Yeah, but you're, but, <laughs> you see? Yeah, but you're talking, I agree with you, I see that very well. But it's one thing to be in a situation where you see that you have, where you see a future, however bloody. 
and to be in a situation where you see no future at all. But you, you are, it is incumbent. It's if, if I, I know, logical, it if, is incumbent if, if, if I know what, see a future. If I know what I'm demanding of you, in some sense, makes sense. If I know the fact that the kid is not eating today or tonight or tomorrow, in some way makes sense. Yeah, then I, can, then I can be there. But if it doesn't make any sense, and if I don't see anything coming out of it will at he, all... Will he eat if you're not there? If you're on welfare, he won't eat if I am there. That's the law. But I don't want to get bogged down into that. Yeah, what, I, what I really mean is that, yes, a man can do that if he sees a, re a way, if he sees that it means something. My father couldn't see that. And he was quite right. Because he didn't, well, there wasn't anything. There's something. Because all I can, all I know that works in the world is a relationship. Yes, all right. Okay, that, that's all that's going to work. It takes two people to have a relationship. Yeah, but, but, it, but the relationship. If you don't have a dream, fake it. But the relationship, you can't fake a dream. You've got to fake it. Because we don't have dreams these days. How the hell can you have a dream? For what? Well, it isn't. So, so everybody's, everybody's jiving, but let's jive on that level. If I love you, I can't lie to you. Of course you can lie to me. And you will. If you love me and you're going off with Maddie someplace, you're lying to me. Because what the hell do I care about the truth? I care if you're there. What Billy Holiday say, hush now, don't explain. All right, I accept that. Of course. All of right, course you lie to me. Because I don't even want to care. What, what does the truth matter? And why are you going to be truthful with me when you lie to everybody else? You lied when you smiled at that cracker down the job, right? Lie to me. Smile. Treat me the same way you would treat him. I can't treat you. You must. Treat him. You must. Because I've caught the I've caught the frowns and the anger. He's happy with you. Of course he doesn't know you're unhappy. You grin at him all day long. You come home and I catch hell because I love you. I get least of you. I get I get the very minimum. And I'm saying you know fake it with me. Is that too much of the black woman to ask of the black man? For ten years so that we can get a child on his feet that says yeah father smiled at mother. He talked to me about school today. Who cares that you can read or can't read? Most Americans can't read. Most people can't read. They look at the pictures. Baby, baby, I know what you're saying. I know exactly what you're saying, and I, I don't disagree, but no, I'm gonna be honest and think about it, really. I'm not so sure that that is a human possibility. Ever have to smile all day. And the cat on the job, the foreman. You don't understand why I'm smiling. Mm -hmm. Not because I want to smile, I'm smiling because that baby needs new shoes. I can't give a performance all day on the job and come home and give a performance on, all night in the house. And so one of the performances will stop. Yes. So you say, and okay, I might be willing to go with it, but who's going to pay the rent? The rent will get paid. Look, baby, I'm willing to play it your way, but you have to see my point of view. I see your point of view, but the rent will have to I'm get paid. The price of the rent is my smile. No, no, no. I don't want you prostituting yourself. I demand. I don't want you prostituting yourself either. One of us has got to work. You, you work it. You will work it out, because you are intelligent enough, and you are sensitive enough 
you are a man enough to work out a new system. Because we started off with everybody's protest now and we're back there again. As long as the assumptions are the same, nothing will change. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. So we must corner ourselves to make a new assumption. Okay, how about it? In case it was sort of like left up in the air or somebody, you know, like I didn't get it across. I really think that my father, you know, Jones Giovanni is a groovy cat, you know. And he's lived with my mother now for 35 years under holy wedlock. And I think that that's good for them. You know, I think that that sort of thing worked yes. for them. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the main thing, that they were able to love, despite it all. That's yeah. what we were talking about before. Right, you know? exactly. And you, had, you, by the way, you do not have to tell me that you were your <laughs> father. I knew that. Yeah, I think he's a, he's a gay. Yes, I exactly. just don't want to marry him. <laughs> 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 but I think, uh, let's talk about writing for a moment. Because it seems that most uh, black writers at certain points always come back to explaining who they are. They always come back to... Um, a personal essay. You've written several novels. One that I happen to love a lot is, is Tell Me How Long the Train Has Been Gone. I'm glad you like that. I'm particularly, yeah. I, I just, I just felt mad in love. I gave copies to my friends. I was glad when I found it came out in paperback and I could afford to do what I was doing. <laughs> but it seems that even though we deal in the novel and we deal in fiction or we deal in poetry, say, we always have to come back to say, uh, you know, who are we? Well, you know, I, I don't know, well, like, for example, in Train, One of the things I discovered in writing it, like I'm telling you, you know, when I was when I began it, that you know, to answer your answer your question or to deal with the question, is, it's an enormous question for me. There's a moment in in the bar in New, in New York, up in New York State when uh, Leo was watching um, Jerry, the Italian. He's watching him with an older Italian who just come to America, and Leo thinks to himself. Salvatore understood Jerry because um, he existed in effect already in Salvatore's imagination. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he understood Jerry because of the life that he himself had lived. But no one thinks Leo looks at me that way because I don't exist in anybody's imagination. You know? In how can I put it? The reason we are forced to become more and more open, overt, overt, is because in fact when you walk down the street, coming back now to the black man, black woman thing, mm -hmm. you're my wife, my sister, and my mother, I know very well that the people who are looking at you know nothing whatever about you, nothing at all. You know, if it's Marilyn Monroe or uh, Pat Nixon, you know, they know or think they know, you know. But until this century begins to apprehend the experience out of which Alina Horn comes, you know, for example, or Ethel Waters, or you, or, or Paul Robeson, or Rita Franklin, because the white, white people, or Ray Charles, they don't know what that comes out of. There's no metaphor in their experience for it. Or the metaphor in their own experience is so deeply buried and so frightening. Because you see, the reason that people think it's important to be white is they think it's important not to be black. They think it's important to be white because white means you are civilized, and being black means you're not civilized. 
and has yet to be apprehended in any way whatever, that in fact I will not be able to walk the streets or even look at you or you at me or do whatever we do in our terrible days, day to day, if we were not civilized, you know, but we represent a civilization. I don't mean, I don't mean merely, literally the African civilization or the Indian civilization or whatever. I mean a sense of life, which is the only thing that civilizes anybody, which for mercantile commercial reasons, to put it a little bit too simply, the rise of Europe attempted to destroy, as I attempted to destroy because it did not in fact destroy it, it dispersed it, and under that pressure, it began to become something else. What it comes to is that I'm civilized in a way that Englishmen are not, you know, because I've had to depend on a principle which Europeans have learned to distrust. Let's see. Does that make sense to you, though? <clears throat> sort of on one level, and because I tend to be slow sometimes, not sort of on another. But what I'm trying to ask maybe is, uh, <laughs> that's a dirty chicken nigga's for a living. <laughs> what I'm trying to ask, though, uh, like, do you think that you would ever write, say, um, a work of fiction, or maybe even a work of non-fiction that did not include white people? That was just about some groovy black people that you knew. You know, in terms of characters, in terms of uh, who you're speaking to and why. You think that's, I mean, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, I do, I do. Well, how can I answer it? I'm working on something now which, which there are no white people. But I'm also working on a novel which, for the most, place, most part, takes place in, um, in Europe. And it's, to put it again, to simply concern the situation of an Arab in France. Mm -hmm. Now, in that context, I don't know. You know, the Arab is certainly a, a nigger in France, or he would be a Puerto Rican in New York, you know, mm -hmm. or a Mexican in California. And what I'm trying to... It's very dangerous to talk about something you haven't finished, but... Yeah. <laughs> but I will understand that. <laughs> what I'm trying to get at is... My apprehension, anyway, of the crisis of this age. You know, and the crisis is something you do with identity. And that is something you do with buried histories. Mm -hmm. Not merely our history has been buried. But as we said before, when I was talking about, you know, the thing I, my homework on Brixton, doing homework on the English working class, that history has been buried too. Mm -hmm. No, we were talking about liberation, we were talking about writing. What a writer is always doing, whether or not he knows it, is he has to go to the source because there isn't anything else to work from. You know, you can't work from other people's assumptions. You have to work out of what you discover are your own. Mm -hmm. And your own assumptions come out of something much deeper than, than you. It takes a long time before you realize that there is a connection, in fact, between coming along, the train's been gone, and uh, swing low, sweet chariot. You know, or what Ray Charles does with dreary little an you know, anthems no one ever dream of hearing until he got his hands on them and put our experience into them. You know? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden... Right down there. <laughs> yes, right down there. Wow. Yeah, wow. Really well, that's, that's what I mean by energy. That's, that, and that, it seems to me that's, that's the assignment 
of an artist because the people who produced him. I am not responsible to anybody but the people who produced me. You know, whether or not they knew they produced me, whether or not they wanted to produce me. You know, I cannot drive a truck and I can't sing a song. But the people who produced me pretended to me to do something which they knew before I knew that I might be able to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, but there's a, and I keep coming back to this kind of a thing, but there's a whole movement or something that says that we have to write only about black people and you have to, you know what I mean? That, that there's a little thing that says we're going to dictate. Look, the very first thing that a writer has to face is that he cannot be told what to write. You, you know, nobody asked me to be a writer in a way, you know, they didn't know it in any case. You know, in any case, I chose it. Since I'm a man, I'd assume I chose it. Perhaps, you know, in fact. <laughs> no, I could go, no, perhaps, in fact, <laughs> I didn't choose it. But, <laughs> no. but in any case, you know, the one thing you have to do is try to tell the truth. And what everyone overlooks is that in order to do it, when the book comes out, it may hurt, it may hurt you. Mm -hmm. But in order to do it, it had to hurt me first. You know, I can only tell you about yourself as much as I can face about myself. You know, it's happened to everybody who's tried to live. You know, you go through your life for a long time, you think that no one has ever suffered the way I've suffered. You know, my God, my God. And then you realize, you read something, you hear something, and you realize that your suffering does not isolate you, and that your suffering is your bridge, mm -hmm. that many people have suffered before you, many people are suffering around you, and always will. And all you can do is bring, hopefully, a little light into that suffering, enough light so the person who is suffering can begin to comprehend his suffering and begin to live with it and begin to change it, to change the situation. We don't change anything. All we can do is invest people with the morale to change it for themselves. I agree with that. I'm, I'm pursuing this because it's something that keeps coming up that personally I'm interested in what you have to say. But the same argument, I agree with you as a matter of fact, but the same argument you hear you say, um, they say, well, why should a writer be free to write what he wants? When, say, a teacher is not free to teach what he wants, or a uh, postman. A teacher who is not free to teach is not a teacher, you know? Yeah. That's true. You know, if that's I assume the responsibility, then, I have to, then I've got to be free to teach the way I see it. Andrew Davis is precisely in trouble, not for all those nonsensical reasons given by those impeccable, honorable men like the governor of California and the head of the FBI. Not for any of those reasons, but because she was trying to teach. And to teach in the situation in which black people in America find themselves, really to teach, is a revolutionary act. That's, that's, <laughs> you, you solved it for me, because it's something you keep hearing. And they always say, well, why, is, why should the artist be free to do what he wants to do when nobody else is? The artist is not free to do what he wants to do. The artist is free to do what he has to do. And in fact, everyone else should pursue along those lines. Yeah. Yeah.
That's wild. I hadn't thought about it that way. It's <laughs> God's truth. I've been having revelations a lot lately. It's a personal thing. So, so what do you think, uh, you know, about the development, say, of the whole black literature trend from, say, Richard Wright till, uh, tell us, say, me. <laughs> All right, it's good. It's a good cutoff period. Good, um, <laughs> no, it's a good beginning period. It's a good beginning period. Thank you. All right, arbitrarily, Richard Wright to you. A Chester Hyam, since Chester goes beyond Richard, and since I happen to adore Chester. Oh, Chester, yes. Chester is exciting to me because when you go from, say, uh, well, Chester's got guts. Oh my God, Lonely Crusade. You talk yeah. about a Lonely yeah. Crusade, which I didn't like when I was, I when it. I was twenty-two. I love when I read it. All. I found the first edition. I won't even tell you what I paid for it, and uh, simply adored it. Mm -hmm. I could see why everybody hated it. Let me make a confession. The book came out. I was working for the new leader. Oh, you know, I, was, I see uh, why you. Yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> and uh, I said working for the new leader. I was doing you know, book reviews for ten dollars a shot. <laughs> and going through my own changes, you know. And also, this is very important, really. I was in a kind of political crisis because I had been kind of communist, you know, when I was 19. <laughs> whatever it means anyway, you know, whatever, whatever it means, 19. And I learned a great deal about the American Communist Party. Which is a very... <laughs> I like to read as an outsider. Indescribable organization. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, I, I dislike it. No. But since the, the book in a sense, for me, had you know, the, the aura of the things I was battling, the political elements I was battling. Mm -hmm. The book frightened me, you know, because in those years, in those years, I don't want to get sidetracked from the Communist Party, but in those years, the Communist Party was, in a sense, in a sense, the only haven for a young American black writer. It was also a terrible trap you know, in which most people lost their lives because the American communists were also, after all, Americans, you know. And you worked for them like you worked for everybody else. Except since they were communists, you know, you're not supposed to say you worked for them, you know. And all of that complicated my reaction to both Chester and to Richard. In a sense, which I can't exactly, it took me a long time to understand, you know. But it's a question of generations again, you know. It's question, it's they're, question, they're both a generation. Yes, than you yes. Yeah. It's a question of generations. I had to get to be a man myself in quite another context. And since I was, since in effect, after the Second World War, World War, War the, um, the American Communist Party was a very different organization in a sense. And, it had, and, the, and the black situation became different too. There was no haven at all for black writers, so I split. Mm -hmm. I had to split. Otherwise, I, you know, I would be dead. And, you know, figure it out on the stones of Paris. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Now, Richard left a tremendous testimony, you know, mm -hmm. about a time that will never be seen again, in which your son will read about the way he reads about Greece. Do you know? Yeah. Do you know? It, uh, it came out of a set of assumptions, you know, which a boy of 21, that's what I was then, had to fight if he was going to live at all. You know, you know? Because what you couldn't accept was 
that pain. You couldn't accept that past as being your present and still more your future. You know, you had to find some way of dealing with it, of dealing with it. And to deal with it meant you had to find another vocabulary. You had to, you had to risk your life, mm-hmm. you know. You had to risk it all. You had to go for broke, you know. Which, which both Chester and Richard. Now I can yeah. see, now I can see what I owe to Richard what I owe to Chester, what I owe to Langston, what I owe to W.E.B. Du Bois, what I owe to Frederick Douglass. But I could not see that when I was 20. Mm-hmm. You know? I don't think anybody can see that at 20. You know? Because you see, they were, in, on one level, simply more exalted victims. I still remember a boy named Angelo Herndon who wrote a book called Let Me Live. Right. You know, I have no idea what happened to him. You know. He's probably dead. <laughs> He's probably like everybody dead, else. You know, like everybody else. And that's your future. Yeah. You know, and it takes a long time before you accept what has been given to you from your past. You know, what we, talk, what we call black literature is really summed up for me by the whole career, let's say, of Bessie Smith, Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin. Because how it's been handed down since we couldn't read or write as far as they knew, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was a, at one time, I draw another thousand years ago, a crime to be able to read if you were black. You know, it was punishable by law. You know, if we had to smuggle our information somehow, and we did it through our music, and we did it in the church. You know, mm-hmm. you were talking before about, you know, the, the um, church you went to visit, if you know. <laughs> I, I thought about the Apollo Theater. The last time I saw Aretha, and what did she do with the policy to turn it into a gospel church service, you know? Everybody really. testified. You know, and, that's, <laughs> and, that's, and that's true religion, yeah. you know? And, and, and anything a writer, a black writer is trying to do has to come out of that. I don't mean it has to be limited to that, but it comes out of that because the standards which come from Greece and Rome, for example, you know, even the standards which come from what we call the Christian Judeo, the Jewish Christian ethic, are very dubious when you try to apply them to your own life. Yeah, dubious you know, at best, yeah. I use the word advisedly, yes. You know, so you have to use what in fact you have as distinguishing what you've been told you have. Mm-hmm. There's a question someplace I'm trying to form it. And again, I guess I'm, I'm stuck with Chester because among other things, he's one of my favorite writers and I've read everything to date, including his autobiography that he's written. So it's easier for me. But if you move from, say, If He Hollers, Let Him Go, mm-hmm. right into um, Third Generation Caster, mm-hmm. the first on that, mm-hmm. that group of, okay. Then he had to stop. He left the States also. Mm-hmm. He left the States much later than all of you are mm-hmm. in terms of age. Not much Well, later in terms of age. In ter- yes. He was much older. Yeah. Then he began Pink Toes and went into the coffin at mm-hmm. Gravedigger mm-hmm. Jones, which everybody assumed was safe. Dig it. Then Everybody. he did, then he did, well, most people, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That they could publish him because they said, mm-hmm. oh, it's just a detective mm-hmm. story. Then he did, of course, the master detective story, Blind Man with a Pistol. Mm-hmm. And they said, who's the murderer? He said, the state's a murderer. It's not a detective story at all, it's an allegory. It's fantastic, exactly. But again, uh, I'm talking about Chester in Chester's uh, pursuit of truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because Richard Wright died before he quit pursuing truth or was murdered That's before right. he quit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. Chester could say, okay, I will pursue truth in this way, which mm-hmm. looks a little better. 
that you can make a movie out of it if mm -hmm. you want to. Mm -hmm. It'll mm -hmm. still be true. And then takes it right to blind man with the a Sweetheart, pistol. it's the same thing that we were doing on the plantation when they thought we were saying, steal away to Jesus. And I was telling you it's time to split. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's like, you know. But, but why away. do we, why do we always away. Get, get hung up in, uh, if I can use that kind of a word, why do we as black writers seem to be so hung up in the truth? If I can... I'm asking because, this as a younger person. Because the <laughs> responsible labor writer is, is to excavate, only where I can find, again, the experience of the people who produce them, because the act of writing is the intention of it, the root of it, is liberation. Look, this is why no tyrant in history was able to read, but every single one of them burned the books. You know? Yeah. That is why. No one yet believes, really, that there is such a thing as a black writer. A black writer is still a, a freak. You know? Maybe even a, a dancing dog. We don't yet exist in the imagination of this century. And we cannot afford to play games. There's too much at stake. But there has to be a way to do what we do and survive, which is, uh, to me, what seems to be missing. Sweetheart, sweetheart, our ancestors taught us how to do that. We have survived until now. Use Chester is a very good example. You know, and people may think Blind Man's Pistol is a detective story. You didn't write it for the people who think it's a detective story. <laughs> That's a great book. You know, you know, and it's very you know, but, you, but you see what I mean? Yeah, it does do. Look, there was a law, let me say a very brutal thing. Very brutal thing, but it has to be said, I think. There was a law in America not a thousand years ago, which stated that a black man has no rights. This was a law yes. which a white man is bound to respect. Now, we have come to this. I can say now that the people who frame that law have no standards which I am bound to respect. That's the way the wheel goes round. No white critic can judge my work. I'd be a fool if I depended on that judgment. You know what I'm trying to say? Exactly. But I'm not sure that anyone at this stage, um, I personally hate critics. <laughs> Maybe the right. I'm, I'm not sure that anyone. Actually, I love critics, but they're very rare. A real critic is very rare. A real critic to criticize a real book would have to write a book of equal mm -hmm. length, mm -hmm. in which case it's a waste of time because you could read the book that they're criticizing. That's right. Whether it be good or bad, whether mm -hmm. it's to explain, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mostly, though, uh, the young critics are, I think, just trying to hurt people. And uh, Most, the, other, the young black critics try to hurt people, I think, essentially. And, and the white critics don't understand. In many cases, they would like to praise it, but I will be able to accept um, critical judgments. The day I understand that they understand Ray Charles. <laughs> it never happened. No. Never when that day comes, then. Okay, that's a new ball game you'll play, you know, you see. I would rather a 14-year-old kid 
I said, I didn't like that essay. I didn't like that poem. I could relate to that because I know that he read it and that he understood it. I felt myself together by the judgments of a few people whom I trusted. Yeah, it's the way it has to be. Who I knew would not give me any... Beep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's it's a funny situation to be in these days because uh, everybody's trying to delineate what you're doing. And and to me what's important is that things are, are being done. Look, baby, I know that my mother worked for them for a long time. A long time. A long time. And I know she came to the house every morning, left every night. And they did not know anything about her at all. <laughs> I can do it. When they discover who my mother is, they may be able to tell me who I am. Until they do that, they can't tell you the one thing. Do they know who their maid is? They can't tell me anything about me. Yeah. And still less about you. <laughs> you know, we were talking earlier about the, uh, the junkie situation. Mm-hmm. Which I'm kind of curious. You said that it related to, like, that whole sexual thing. I'm kind of curious. Well... <laughs> we Somebody, don't have to discuss it. No, no. I was thinking about something a junkie once said to me, who was a very good friend of mine, a musician. He said, you're a junkie too. I thought to myself, am I? You know, something in the way he said it, maybe, because I came to the same streets. Mm-hmm. I knew why he was a junkie, and I knew what had happened to me. He said, you're a junkie because you talk to yourself. I think about that. And I thought about it, and I... What he meant was, you have to listen to your own sound. Mm-hmm. You've got to find a way to listen to your own sound. You live in a kind of echo chamber. And it's true, you know. And it also demands um, a terrible turning away from many things, you know. In this, on one level, on one level, I must say that some of the junkies I have known have been among the most valuable people I've ever met in my life. Because they know, in some, they know something, I'm not being trying to be mystical about it, mm-hmm. but they know, they know their situation. George Kane wrote a book called Blue's Child Baby, right. which is a tremendous, tremendous book. And the first honest book I've ever read about the condition of a junkie. But it's really in, it really is exaggerated, or rather, you know, made clear. The situation of being a black man in America. Mm-hmm. You could even go further than that and say the situation of being a white man, this being a man in this civilization. Because in fact... frustrated the hell out of me. It's a tremendous book. I hear this one. Yeah, read it again. I will. Read it, read <laughs> I will. it, read it again. It's a very frightening book. But you have to, in order to live, finally, make so many difficult and dangerous choices that the one thing you really are trying to save is what you lose. And what you're trying to save is one thing. Your ability to touch another human being or be touched by that person. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what you're really trying to save. And when you realize you can't save that, 
either you hit the needle. You know? And it is one more way after all the junk comes from somewhere. I don't care how many cowboys they throw to the wolves and how many, um, you know, drives against drugs. I lived in the ghetto and I watched it. You know? I think that's the biggest hype in the world. You buy drugs in the ghetto like you buy, like you buy, like you buy whiskey in the deep south from the sheriff. Right. You know, yeah. it's part of a criminal conspiracy to destroy black people. The proof of this is nobody cared, nobody cared as long as our kids were dying. Mm -hmm. It was only when it got, you know, the plague spread outward up to Scarsdale, Westchester, and white kids started dying. <laughs> then we have a drug problem. They have a drug problem. No. I think that that's a big, I think it's a big hype. And I'm not on anything, so I don't know it from the inside. I don't try to. But all it's done is to divide the people who are not on drugs. Because the junkie and you the see, pusher I think, go on. Uh, yeah, the junkie and pusher do they go on. They have a love affair. But Everybody's going to break them I up. Think the only but thing you and I fight about it. I think, I, you know, I think really, seriously, something my brother said to me years ago, he got robbed by a junkie, right? Okay. And he was very hot. You know, he was very angry. But then he realized that <laughs> the junkie didn't have any choice but to rob him. Did you know that the whole point was to set you at a division, you know. Mm -hmm. I decided after that, you know, that the junkie is a victim like me, a brother like me, you know. Mm -hmm. I ain't no better than he is. I really am not any better than he is. We're in the same trap. We're in the same trap for the same reasons, you know. Mm -hmm. It's the same way, you know, that uh, the great powers can use a tribal war in some unknown country you know, set them against each other, then blame both parties and put the money in Switzerland and they <laughs> still own the country. Yep. You know. But both countries are to blame. Because they have to stop and think about it. Of course. Of course. Yeah. I mean, Nigeria just finished with that horrendous uh, fiasco, which is what you're talking One of the about. examples that I mean. Yeah. You know. there, there was no point in it. But maybe it takes people a very long time to learn a very little. If you consider your own life, if I consider my life, you know, when I think how little I've learned in, after all, a fairly long time, and what it has cost me to learn whatever I've learned, and then to face whatever it is I've learned, and then to act on it, it takes a long time. I you know? I don't think that... You, do you see what I mean, though? Sure, but I don't think that I'm all that, uh, like, different or exceptional or something like that. But I think there's certain things... Well, first of all, I don't need anybody to feel better than you see and I think that like that junkie hype mm -hmm. that whole war hype that whole homosexual hype you know what I mean that whole do I not he's not black hype mm -hmm. I don't need it because it doesn't make me any better people invent categories in order to feel safe white people invented black people <laughs> to give them a, to give white people an identity no but it's, it's cats insane think of themselves as straight invent faggots so they can sleep with them <laughs> That's true. Without becoming a faggot themselves. Somehow. 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 You know. It's, it's a hype, though. If you're a writer, you're forced to look behind the word into the meaning of the word. You know. Into you the got, actions produced by the word. Yes. Yes. You're responsible for what that word means. I agree. You know. You have to find a way to use that word to liberate the energy in that word. 
So it has a positive effect on the, on the, on the lives of people. There is such a thing as a living word. The word was made for that word, that's right. That's not a mystical statement. No, it's true. It's true. I'm just always amazed at the uh, number of hypes though that people go for. You know, like if, if you don't eat meat now, you're somehow better than somebody who has a pork chop. Look, baby. And what I, does it matter? Baby, I, I you told you. you. Baby, I told you. <laughs> I told you before. You know, some things would seem new to you. It does seem new to you. It's one of the problems. I just can't get over how people continue the BS when we see that it has nothing. Because to they're afraid to let it go. But they're perpetuating their own destruction. <sighs> you tell that to some white South African farmer. You I can't tell that to some black guy. You know what I mean? That you're buying that the of destruction of your children. <laughs> he doesn't have to hear. I, I mean, yes, I see, know. we talk across at counter purposes sometimes. The no, white no. South African does not have to hear me. You know what I mean? Yeah. If his children, they should tell. If I walk down the street and tell some cat, listen, so what if you don't eat meat and you eat imported sugar? You're a nigga. <laughs> you understand? He gets mad at me. Yeah, but you have to understand why he gets mad at you. Because first he's a of all, nigga. <laughs> first of all, he ain't mad at you. He's mad at he's mad because what you told him is the truth. It's you're, true. You're mad. He's mad because you you peeped his whole card. He's but, mad. He's mad because he is trying to establish an illusion which you are breaking. He's mad the same way those terrible preachers in the church I grew up in were mad, you know, when I began to ask them questions about what does this really mean? You know, when I began to watch their lives, they were nothing but pimps and hustlers, really. Yeah. You know, wrapped in a cloak, you know, in the blood of Jesus and all that jazz, <laughs> you know. And you ask, them, you ask them a real question, they hate you. Of course they hate you. But it just—it's not, it's not, but, it's so but it's got nothing to do with you. Of course, it it's self-destructive. Yes, I know that. But but, but how, how we're back at how we're going to get over that and into look, uh, look, baby, I've written off my generation. You know, completely. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't talk to them. Let's go back to the kid. You talk to those people who can hear you, and you say what you can save. And you, you're, you are not going to live forever either. You know. Thank God. Yeah, what you have to do is make it possible for others to live. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the only reason to be here. You know, who needs the rest of it, really? That's true. You know. It's so weird, though. It's so... <laughs> it's counterproductive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's very bad English. <laughs> <laughs> that's very bad. Would you say that, like, to sort of sum things up here, that uh, would you say you, like you tend to be optimistic? You know, on, on those kind of levels. When I pick your kid up in my arms, yes. When I look at you, yes. You know. Not me. Yes. I'm very pessimistic. At, oh no, you're not as pessimistic as you think you are. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm not pessimistic. I you got far too much energy to be as pessimistic as you think you are. I'm pretty pessimistic, though. No, I think you're pretty realistic. I think you're pretty cool. You know, I think you're pretty clear. But pessimist are silent. Pessimists are people who have no hope for themselves or for others. Pessimists are also people who think that the human race is beneath their notice. And they're better than other human beings. Back to that. Hmm? So we're back. People really feel the need to feel better than somebody, don't they? 
because they can. That's a mystery which I can't. But they do feel it. I don't know why they feel it. But they do. It's like being in competition with somebody, you know, which is something I never understood. I've been, in my own life, you know, in competition with me. Which is enough. Enough. <laughs> so we're well. <laughs> yeah. Just for That'll keep you yourself. busy. Just, yeah. you know. It's very good for the figure. <laughs> it makes you happy, you know. Well, it means that in any case, you can walk into a room and talk to somebody, look them in the eye, you know. Mm -hmm. If I say, I love you, I can say it. You know. But I can't, you know, get on my face. I can mean it, you know. Right. I only got one life and I'm going to live my life, you know. In the sight of God and all his children. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can see, you know, which is, it's maybe parochial, narrow-minded, bullheaded. But it just takes up so much energy just to keep yourself happy. You know what I mean? It isn't even a question of keeping yourself happy. You know, it's a question of keeping yourself in relation to, in some kind of clear relationship, more or less, to the, for, to the, to the force which feeds you. You know, some days you're happy, some days you, some days you ain't. But as long as we can manage to to deal with it on the simplest, you know, level, right. just to bear in mind that this person facing you is a person like you. You know, yeah. they're gonna go home and do whatever they do, just like you. They're as alone as you are. You know. But then that becomes a responsibility, doesn't it? Well, it's called love. Yeah. <laughs> you know. We agree. <laughs> yeah. Love is a tremendous responsibility. Though. It's the only one to take. There isn't any other. I agree. I was incredibly beautiful. We've come to the end of this, what I think is a very important exchange of ideas and experiences and really love between Nikki Giovanni and Jimmy Baldwin. And we here at Seoul thank them so very much for letting us have the opportunity to do this special program, a conversation between Nikki Giovanni and James Baldwin. This is Ellis Hayslip saying good night from Seoul. See you next week. That's awful, we're supposed to be arguing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he blew this gig. <laughs> Goofed again. No, I think love is an answer, but you have to be logical about it. You know? Well, it's another way. Of, you know, of course. You know, but logical. You, know, you you say logical, or rational. I say clear. You know, but it comes the same thing. You know, you can't be romantic about it. No, you can't be romantic about love. That's all. No. <laughs> yeah. I think. You think we are? Yeah. You asked you asked the loaded question, the one that you I asked the loaded question. You did you did ask you did ask the loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And that's friendly potential radio for another week. Be friendly to each other out there. See ya.